I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to The Parenthood. From the moment we become pregnant, we're riddled with guilt about what we eat, how much we travel, how hard we work, and how our babies are born. But possibly the most guilt-ridden part of parenting a new baby is breastfeeding. We're told how beneficial it is, how it's an opportunity to deliver antibodies and probiotics in a uniquely efficient way to our babies. Formula is stigmatized. But what amount of breastfeeding is optimal for both mother and child? With me today, I have Jo Hooper, midwife and valued member of the Bug Class team. Jo is the mother of three who has worked as a midwife for a decade with a special interest in supporting breastfeeding mothers. Jo, thanks so much for joining me today. I think one of the things that we both sort of struggle sort of when teaching the Bug Class is that... Um, a lot of women, quite rightly so, really sort of keen to breastfeed, which is fine if the breastfeeding is easy, but really difficult if the mother finds it hard to breastfeed. And they basically end up thinking that they've sort of delivered a sort of death wish to their child and society guilts them for sort of having made this sort of specific choice about breastfeeding. But what I really want to do is sort of examine the claims of breastfeeding and actually explore how accurate they are and you know, how how beneficial breastfeeding actually is so that people can make a really informed decision about, you know, whether or not they want to breastfeed, but also how long they want to breastfeed for. Yeah, exactly. And I think I completely agree with you. Um, and there's loads of evidence that those women that go in with a sort of preconceived idea that that's what they want to do, um, and then go on to find it difficult, are much more likely to have problems with depression and bonding with their baby and all of those types of things. So it's so important that we sort of give a really well-rounded idea of the benefits of breastfeeding. Um, and I think in terms of the studies, it's very difficult to do studies on breastfeeding because you, they're more persuasive type of studies. You, you can't have a control group because that's unethical. So I think when people are looking at the internet and what they should and shouldn't do, they've got to be really, really cautious um, because actually the, the, the studies aren't, aren't that sort of conclusive. Um, and what's quite tricky is that a lot of the pro breastfeeding websites will be very damning of, of, of bottle feeding and formula, um, and they don't at all give a well-rounded approach. Um, and I think if you go into breastfeeding with an open mind, knowing that it can be difficult, um, then you're more, much more likely to succeed. And there is a new drive to have, um, instead of breast is best, which I really don't, 
I don't like that that at all. I think that that is just going to put so much pressure on women. It's um, the idea that every feed counts instead. Um, so even if you could do a couple of breastfeeds post-delivery, that's brilliant. But rather than breast as best, which means that women who aren't able to breastfeed, who find it difficult, um, are then sort of stigmatised and then they have all this shame and guilt surrounding it. And actually, if you think about it, like fed is best. I mean, your baby just needs to be fed. And if they're really struggling to feed from the breast, it's much better that that they're getting some kind of food. And I guess, too, I, I want to kind of make the point that we're talking about the sort of benefits in in the developed world. Yeah. Clearly, if you're talking about people living in, um, you know, uh, less developed communities where they don't necessarily have access to clean water or good formula or sterile breastfeeding, I mean, feeding equipment, that obviously then breast really is best. Um, but actually, in with people living in the first world with access to all of these things, the kind of what is best is is much more nuanced. I mean, it's interesting. I was reading about um, the claim that breastfeeding increases your child's IQ. And this is quoted really, really wi- widely. Um, and actually, if you look at the studies, um, there, there have been a few studies that have suggested that you, children of breast, uh, of breastfed who've been breastfed, their IQ is about eight points higher than children that weren't breastfed, which on the face of it sounds brilliant. Yes, clearly children have much higher IQ. The trouble is, is that you need to look at the demographic of women who choose to breastfeed. And that tends to be women who've had access to more education and have a higher socioeconomic status and, and are... Um, uh, are slightly wealthier um, and the fact is is that if the women who are breastfeeding if their IQ is higher what is you know contributing to the higher IQ of the child is it the fact that they were breastfed or is it the fact that their mother has high IQ and is giving them access to sophisticated education and there was uh, only been one study and it was obviously this is difficult to do where they looked at siblings of the same parents one of whom was breastfed and the other wasn't. And they found that there was sort of a 0.01% increase in IQ, or not point increase in IQ for those. So that's really good data that actually breastfeeding has absolutely no impact on your child's IQ. It's their education, it's their the family which they were born into and, and their genetics. No, exactly. Um, and if we're going to put shame onto those women that can't do it, we're going to be doing them a, a, like such a disfavour. Um, and I read loads around, even in middle class women, that they were lying to health professionals about whether they actually were breastfeeding. So when they were asked, you know, how's the feeding going by the midwives and the health visitors, they were saying it was going really well, but actually it was going really badly. Um, so even for those middle class women that are able to do it, and they often have got the economic and social support that they push through and they will do it for a year, even if they really don't enjoy it. And it's to the sort of detriment of enjoying their baby. Um, But those other women who have got to go back to work, who have got other difficult social um, things to worry about, they're not going to be able to commit to that capacity. Um, And I think what's interesting about a lot of the studies is that the the main study was the ProBit study, which was done in Belarus. And that was about 17,000 women um, in that cohort. But again, it's a a difficult thing to test. But when they were looking at it, um, it's very difficult because we don't know how 
these if these women who who chose to bottle feed were even told how to make up feeds properly. So when I, as a community midwife, when I've gone to more deprived areas, you've got women who are not using um, cool boiled water, they're using tap water to make up formula, that they've got absolutely no education surrounding it. So a lot of the studies that look at the benefits of breastfeeding are not really looking at what you know, what we can do to help teach women how to actually bottle feed properly. Because I think if you did that, all of the evidence about reducing gas, gastroenter, um, gastroenteritis in, in smaller babies, which they say is far less um, prevalent if you breastfeed, if you're actually teaching women how to bottle feed properly, I think that would reduce quite dramatically. Um, and also the, there's a, all this information about the fact that if you breastfeed, um, they're far more likely to get respiratory illnesses. Um, and actually, that's not, that's not true. So breast and bottle fed babies, um, they have a, a similar sort of prevalence of, of bronchiolitis and things like that in the first year. So it's like we've taken bits from this study and then gone mad with it without really any evidence um, surrounding it, particularly about the lack of information to women who actually want to bottle feed. And we even do that now. We don't really teach women how to properly bottle feed. So no wonder those babies are the ones that end up in A&E because, you know, those women haven't even been taught properly. And to be fair, I, I was a bit all over the place making up bottles to start with, you know, because all the information is so contradictory. You can have poor boiled water. No, you've got to leave it in the kettle. It's got to be this certain temperature. No wonder everybody gets confused. Um, so that's why you've got to be so careful with the evidence because actually we're not focusing on women who are bottle feeding and teaching them um so it's quite complicated and i feel so bad for those women who choose not to breastfeed because actually all of the evidence is like you're doing such a disfavor disfavor to your baby but actually that's so not true at all well it's really interesting because that um you know prevalence for gastroenteritis that's the one kind of claim that has a slight um evidence proper evidence base towards it but it's interesting that you're saying that you know obviously when you're bottle feeding a baby it just it's harder because there's more things to get wrong it's not only the preparation of the formula but it's also the washing of the bottles you know a lot of people think that washing the bottles is just rinse it in sort of lukewarm water but actually you do need to wash them properly and in properly hot water and give them a good scrub or or use um, a sterilizer because obviously there's a huge amount of bacteria in milk um, and you know people but and, and that's the thing you know breastfeeding if it goes well is just easier because you don't need to worry about the sterilizing you don't need to worry about the cool boiled water you don't need to worry about the quantity of the formula and whether you're feeding the same formula because the supermarket ran out of the one that you're you know fed before it's just all there ready to go and if yeah. the if the the result of all of this you know pro breastfeeding um uh, sort of you know rhetoric resulted in that women who were a bit lazy and didn't want to breastfeed ended up breastfeeding that would be great but th- that's not the case <laughs> it's no. women who really struggle to breastfeed who feel massively guilty because they can't and either they struggle and end up with an underfed baby or miserable because they're struggling so much or just miserable because of the guilt because everyone's basically thinking you don't care about your baby no, I know. And it's so awful. Um, and I feel as women, we should be so supportive to each other. And we're not. It seems to be those people who find breastfeeding really easy and are very sort of pro it can't really see why somebody would need to bottle feed. It's so easy, like you said, if you find it really lovely and enjoyable and the baby's latched on really well, then that's amazing. But it, 
it then is quite hard for you to relate to a woman that chooses not to do it. Um, and I think the stigma around it, it has to change because there isn't enough research about the mental health repercussions for those women who choose not to do it for an extended period of time. A lot of women will attempt to do it within the first three months. Um, but we need to look at sort of what happens after that three month period and those women that choose then not to do it because they can't and because they found it really, really hard. Because um, there's so much guilt and shame and regret around it. Um, and actually what that's doing is meaning that some of these women that are really struggling, they tend to then withdraw from seeing their friends and their families and all of those types of things because they're worried about judgment. And actually, what I don't know where we've gone wrong, because surely the most important thing is that you and the baby are healthy and that you're enjoying being a mum. because there's, having a newborn baby is really hard. And then we're putting this huge pressure on women to breastfeed. And it just seems so unfair. There's got to be a balance to be had. And the NHS does has quite a lot to answer for in that respect. Because of all the baby-friendly initiatives, we're so pro-breastfeeding in the hospitals so that women are sort of smuggling in formula and not telling the midwives that that's how they're feeding their babies. And that is awful as well. As health professionals, you've got to be unjudgmental. Um, and I think that that needs to change completely. And if anything, that would actually increase breastfeeding because then you're going to be giving people support either way. Um, because actually, if you do that, they're far more likely to succeed because they won't feel judged. Um, and like we say on the bump class, what's best is to have an open mind about formula because actually then you can really aid successful breastfeeding. Whereas if you say, no, I'm not giving my baby formula, it's toxic. Those women tend to have lots and lots of problems because actually the pressure is just, just completely overwhelming and they're quite likely to develop sort of problems bonding with their baby and depression and things like that. And we know that postnatal depression and anxiety is on the up um, and that's because society is putting pressure on mothers to be perfect and that's completely compounded by this awful pressure to breastfeed. Um, so that a lot needs to change to make it easier for women. I know we almost need to rethink, you know, how often as a new mother do people ask, you know, random people, are you breastfeeding? How long yeah. have you been breastfeeding for? I mean, it's none of their business. It's such a sort of intimate question. And I mean, I just, I'm flabbergasted that people feel that it's an appropriate question to ask. I know. And it is, it goes on from, you know, all of the opinions people have about how you give birth. And like what, you know, we also say is that once they get to school, no one asks if you breastfeed. No one asks whether you had a cesarean. All they care about is that that child is loved and is safe. Um, nothing else matters. And I was even talking to some of the mothers at school yesterday, and I'd never spoken about breastfeeding, but definitely there was a huge mix. Some managed to do it, some didn't. We'd never even spoken about it um, because it's not relevant. You know, your child's happiness is the most important thing. And if we're constantly pushing to breastfeed, then actually those first six months can be really traumatizing for children as well because they sense a parent's anxiety. So if that mother is crying every time she's latching the baby on, that baby is going to be more fractious. And, and, and actually, we need to look at how that's affecting their IQ and development later on, having a mother who for the first year is a complete mess. Mm. Um, because actually, that's, that's actually much more important. I think the side, the mental health side of breastfeeding needs to be really investigated because it's got to be as important as any health benefits that you would get from breastfeeding in the first place. The mother has to be okay. That has to be paramount. Um, and we have to do something to sort of make that better for them. 
but also there's this idea of like praising women who are breastfeeding. I, I was um, uh, I was on Instagram and there was this mother who'd had triplets and she was you know talking about how she'd exclusively breastfed her triplets for I don't know two months or three months or something, and there was so much stuff on Instagram going, "Well done, that's amazing, that's fantastic," and it was brilliant. I mean, quite frankly, just giving birth and looking after triplets is extraordinary. But ultimately. The woman who decides not to breastfeed because that's the right decision for her and her baby should be equally celebrated. It's not about, you know, what's the right and the wrong decision. It's about finding what's the right decision for you and coming to that right decision. And yet we have this kind of propensity, especially on social media, to sort of celebrate those who've breastfed, but not celebrate those who've decided not to breastfeed because that's the right decision for them. No, exactly. And actually, if you particularly if you look at social media you'll find that those breastfeeding, the pro-breastfeeding um, accounts and people, they are so against bottle feeding. So those poor women who are bottle feeding would never make any type of claim about the fact that bottle feeding is better and it's been better for my mental health. They're silenced, basically, by all this pressure from this breast, like pro-breastfeeding side. So we never get both sides of the story. You never get someone then saying, actually, it was really hard for me and it made me have postnatal depression. You know, it's more that these pro-breastfeeding women are sort of indoctrinated into the sense that all these women who are formula feeding are completely doing the wrong thing. And I I just think as well, that is just not not a good environment for a mother to be in when they're really vulnerable. And you'll find that in in big sort of um, postnatal groups, there is that shame about not being able to breastfeed. So like I said before, often when people are out and about, they'll say that they are, but they're just going to give them a formula bottle while they're here um and but they breastfeed them when they're at home and that is just terrible that we're making women feel that way it shouldn't be that way at all you should do it should be sort of that you're you're empowering them to make the best decision for themselves because actually it's also about your partner and your relationship with with them and how it's affecting affecting that because you've got a woman that's so distraught that she's you know trying to breastfeed and it's not going very well that's going to be affecting her relationship as well Mm. Uh, and I don't think all this breast breast is best is particularly helpful for partners as well because I think they then feel like that's the best thing for the baby for the baby and so then you've got another added extra pressure on you because your partner might feel that breastfeeding is the best thing um and not be forcing you but I think that that can that can make it difficult as can your own family, like, in, you know, mother, mother-in-law. That, I mean, that their opinions seem to be, um, in the research that I read, I read a really good article called Guilt, Shame and Postpartum Infant Feeding Outcomes. And it was, it was exactly what we're talking about, that these women are sort of unsupportive, um, unsupportive of each other, but also the women who were bottle feeding were un- underprepared and they were completely inefficiently supported, um, and there needs to be a massive drive towards sort of realistic, non-judgmental um, advice um, and like mother-centered support. Not everybody is so totally different. Every baby is so totally different, like we talk about. You know, it's and we always say it's so easy to be a good mother to an easy baby. But if you've got a baby that won't latch, who's got really bad reflux or colic or and actually or maybe you just don't like breastfeeding. Some people don't like it. Um, that's OK. And some babies don't like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it, we need to be much more open-minded. Um, we're just not helping women at all. And I think that's really, really sad. But also all these claims, you know, so even 
you know, I've had so many people say, you know, why wouldn't you breastfeed? You know, every, not only are there all these health benefits for the mother and child, but also it's cheaper. And and then I was thinking about, is it really actually that much cheaper? Once you factored in, you know, nipple cream, breast pumps, nursing tops, all of these things that actually cost significant amounts of money, it's not necessarily that much cheaper. No, not at all. And also, if you've really struggled, you're going to be sourcing those things even more. Um, and then, you know, there's loads of stuff around, you know, pumping your you know milk. And I think as well, I really feel quite strongly that if you're pumping and breastfeeding, when are you cuddling your baby and bonding with your baby? And actually, that's much more important. I remember saying to my friend who had twins, put down the pump and pick up your babies, because that is much more important. The fact that you are having skin to skin with them and that you are relaxed and that they can feel your heartbeat rather than you pumping for hours on end after you've breastfed, you are going to be totally exhausted. Um, And I think what we need to really promote is that you can have a balance, is that it's okay to give formula and to breastfeed. But I think women feel really frightened to do that. We're not educating them on how to do that. Um, And I understand that. I think people often ask about mixed feeding, but they're not really given any information, particularly via the NHS. Well, they're not given any information at all. We don't talk at all about bottle feeding. Um, And even then, it's fine. What's problematic with the NHS is that we're very pro-breastfeeding, but completely without the right support. So, you know, it's all very well being like everyone's got to breastfeed, but there's not the midwives or the healthcare professionals to help you you support you to do that. So it's completely counterintuitive. So these women are stuck at home by themselves without the right support, feeling completely judged. Um... So there's a lot wrong with that as well. It's not like there's loads of support for these women who are trying to breastfeed. There just isn't any. Um, And so we need to be able to to tell them how to formula feed as well. And I think ultimately, you know, we're not saying don't breastfeed or don't try to breastfeed or don't, you know, really, you know, get lots of support so that you can breastfeed. Because, you know, if it does work, it is it is the easiest way to feed your baby. And actually so much about succeeding as a new mother is making life as easy as possible. But for those women who can't or don't want to or need to go back to work or want to get their partners more involved and get involved with feeds or whatever it is, I don't feel the guilt about it. You know, ultimately, breast is great, but so is formula. Formula is great too. What's harmful is shaming people for making either choice. No, exactly. Um, And I completely agree. Of course, breastfeeding is brilliant if it goes well. That's not what we're saying. And there's plenty of podcasts that will talk about the benefits of breastfeeding. Like that's, you know, everybody knows that. But those benefits will be completely negated if that woman is really struggling. So it's all very well saying that it helps with this or it helps with that. But actually, even then, those are quite, they're quite, they're not huge. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hugely impactful. Um, and actually what, what's most important is that that mother is happy um, because, you know, she's in charge of the family. And you'll see, like you said, with the siblings, you might have a first baby where the mother was absolutely adamant about breastfeeding and felt so much pressure. And then by the second child, felt like, I don't know what I was doing. I'm going to mix feed this time. And you will see that often that second child is happier and more content. And that first child has struggled a little bit. And that's often because, like I said before, they can, they can sense their mother's stress. Um, and that's when I, when I teach the second baby's class, I always say that you can't do the same for every child. It's just completely unrealistic to think that you might well have been able to breastfeed your first baby for 18 months. You're not going to be able to do that for your second because you have a family at that stage. You've got another child. But often what happens is that those second children are more well-rounded because actually that mother doesn't have all the guilt and the shame and the anxiety that they have the first time. So you get the benefit of having a more relaxed mother. Um, so there's so much more to the breastfeeding. And of course, you want, you want people to see if they can do it. But I also really think that the only way that we're going to increase breastfeeding numbers and things like that is to be less judgmental and also far more supportive of each other. Because actually, if you had a woman who really found breastfeeding amazingly easy and her friend who was really struggling felt like she could say, do you think you could come over and help me? Because actually I'm really struggling. Instead, they're all lying to each other. Um, and I think that that's just awful. And I think, I, I remember doing that as a new mother as well. You feel like you've got to say that your child's sleeping through the night and that they're breastfeeding really easily. But actually we need to be just much more honest about it um, and be there for each other if things are difficult. I mean, you know, we're often asked on the bump class, how long should I breastfeed for? And I think people are so prepared for us to say, well, optimally, you'll, your child will get the majority of the kind of benefits if you can breastfeed for three months or six months. But ultimately, that's not the answer to the question, because it's so nuanced. It's about how long is it right to breastfeed for you? And the right decision may, for some women, be not at all. Mm. Um, and it, for, for other women, it could be for, for, you know, a year. I mean, again, you know, the NHS website says, you really should breastfeed your baby exclusively for six months. But the reason behind that is that milk is the most important part of a baby's diet for six months. Thereafter, solids are then introduced and solids become increasingly more important. But what they're not talking about is whether or not that's formula or, or breast milk actually makes very little difference. No, exactly. And so, and like you say, the NHS and the WHO are saying six months, um, but that's, that's to do with loads of different factors. Like we said before, it's breastfeeding in terms of, you know, safety and, and access to things is easier. So you've got women who, who don't have access to formula, who can't afford formula, who aren't making up these bottles properly. So it's, they have to say six months. But actually six months is a really long time to exclusively breastfeed your baby. Like actually every night, every day, that's a really long time. And, you know, you're talking about also recovering from having had been pregnant for nine months and having been through labor or a cesarean and how we can say exclusively for six months without any other, you know, formula, I think is really unfair on mothers. 
And like, like we were saying before, it shouldn't be that it's exclusively for six months. Try and see how much you can do within that six months. It's absolutely fine to do a bit of both rather than it being so strict. Um, and then once they start to wean at six months, um, by a year, then food is much more prevalent um, and that's where they're getting most of their nutrients from that. And those women who choose to you know, breastfeed for an extensive period of time, um, that's completely up to them and it, and it might really work for, for them and their family. But it's absolutely fine not to do that as well. Um, and so they say six months, but they're so, that's complicated. Six months of it is easy. Otherwise, don't do it for however long you want to. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter as long as you're happy. Um, I would definitely take the six months thing with a pinch of salt. That, that would be far too long for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had one, I was speaking to one woman and she, she said, you know what, I want to breastfeed for a year because then I don't need to think about birth control. And I, yeah. and I was like, okay, we need to set the record straight here. Yeah, no, I mean, that is, I did my dissertation on that. Um, no, you are still fertile because you can obviously ovulate without having had a period and we've got no way of knowing. So just because you haven't had a period, it does not mean you aren't ovulating. It is absolutely not a contraceptive. So you've got to be really, really careful with that. Um, and also by a year, you're talking about a baby that might be feeding twice a day as well so they're not even you know for the first three months they're feeding every four hours so you might get a better level of protection to some extent but actually then the more the feeds are spaced out the, the, the more likely you are to get pregnant so you've got to be really careful with that which is why at six weeks you must must talk about contraception with your um gp <laughs> well and in terms of contraception it is true that you are less likely to get pregnant while you are breastfeeding but to put it into perspective Breastfeeding is 70% effective as long as it, you are breastfeeding every three hours all through the day and all through the night. As soon as your baby's going to four hours between feeds or five hours in the night, then that 70% becomes even less. So it really is a very ineffective form of, of uh, contraception. Yeah, I mean, I don't, definitely don't think anybody could be using that. That would be a surefire way to have uh, two babies uh, very close together. <laughs> I guess the one the one thing that, you know, a review of all these claims um, is that it is protective against breast cancer in mothers, actually. Yes. So I think out of all these claims, looking at the reviews that kind of fewer gastrointestinal um, complications with babies in, in the very, very early days, so fewer kind of stomach bugs, but um, a slight reduction in breast cancer in women who have breastfed. And that obviously, yeah. you know, breast cancer is a common cancer, I think it will affect one in eight women but ultimately you know this is the increase is not like you will get breast cancer if you don't feed it's just that your likelihood of getting breast cancer is marginally less if you do manage to breastfeed no exactly and so of course we take on board that evidence um and that's great for women who have managed to breastfeed but there's a lot there's a lot more going on with with things like breast cancer and and your genes and all of that type of thing so um, and also, I would, it would be interesting to weigh up the benefits of breastfeeding with um, reduction in breast cancer and the increase in mental health problems for women who feel shame and, and anxiety when they've stopped breastfeeding early. And I think you'll find that the mental health problems might, might actually lead to far more problematic things. So I think it's, it's, it's complicated. I think you can't, we can't just say, oh, it stops this and it prevents this. Because actually, it's the women 
other other parts of, of what's going on with their mental health and their families and you know whether they even choose to go on to have another baby they a lot of these women have really bad PTSD from their first experience you know they feel so traumatized about the breastfeeding and their babies screaming and screaming and screaming because they're starving and then they don't go on to have any more babies and that affects their their whole life um so we have to look at it in quite a, a broad perspective I think and remembering too that you know breastfeeding is not the only thing that would protect you against well either breast cancer or um breast cancer that is life-threatening because actually I'd say being breast aware is far more protective of having your life significantly impacted by by breast cancer. You know, that's I'm sure that, um, you know, having red breast checks, feeling your breasts, having mammograms after a certain age, making sure that you're on that. That is much more preventative against sort of really serious cancer than potentially breastfeeding is. No, exactly. And it'll be interesting to see with that correlation, those women who are breastfeeding, do they you know, become more breast aware because of the fact that they've breastfed, you know, does that come hand in hand? Whereas those women who are bottle feeding, there may well be a psychological sort of impact on them becoming a bit detached from their breasts because they might feel let down by their bodies. So it'd be interesting to see if there are any studies going forward about that correlation as well. Um, Because I do think people who breastfeed are they become much more confident with their bodies, don't they? You know, like you feel like it's okay to, you know, be breastfeeding in public and all of those types of things. And they and they will be much more breast aware just, just by default, I suppose. Well, listen, you still get women who feel embarrassed to go to the doctor and go, there's a lump on my breast. Can you feel it? You know, to have someone that you don't know feel your breast is a really intimate thing. But if you have breastfed, you're sort of slightly over that. You've had all sorts of people jagging, you know, <laughs> pulling your breasts. <laughs> No, exactly. So that that probably does really impact it. And those women who choose to bottle feed, they often do it in private and they're embarrassed that they're doing it. Um, And so I'm sure that there's lots of links with that. Um, I think either way, we just need to sort of take some of the stigma away from not breastfeeding and also supporting women to stop breastfeeding as well when they feel is appropriate. Because a lot of women then don't say anything. Then they end up with a mastitis because they've stopped breastfeeding too quickly and they haven't been you know confident enough to ask how you stop breastfeeding um and actually that can really impact people as well um we we know from teaching classes that there's this assumption that if you want to stop breastfeeding you just literally stop putting your baby to the breast but actually that is not the way to do it so let's go through how you how you do stop breastfeeding once you've obviously taken that decision that is uniquely yours to take and you've hopefully sort of relinquished all the guilt that goes alongside it um how do you you need a long time to stop breastfeeding longer than you think don't you yeah and actually I think that's probably a good thing because it's like weaning yourself off it often with stopping breastfeeding it's absolutely the baby is absolutely fine they don't care about having a bottle but it has such huge psychological impact on the women because they do feel, even if they're stopping at a time when they feel is appropriate, it's the end of that p- part of having a new baby. Or if they're having to do it because they're going back to work or, or that they're really struggling, actually, it can be really traumatic for women. So the fact that it has to be, you know, a, a go slowly, I think is a really good thing. So the best thing to do with stopping breastfeeding is that um, prior to six months, just you've got to do one feed at a time. So the best thing to do is to pick a feed in the middle of the day because actually your baby is least hungry then. 
and they tend to be sort of a bit more disinterested. So pick one of those midday feeds to supplement with formula. You probably will find that um, you, your boobs will feel quite full and that's absolutely fine. And if they're really uncomfortable, just express either hand express or use a hand pump just to take a little bit off so that the pressure is reduced and you can take ibuprofen as well. And then gradually, um, as the days go by and your boobs are readjusted, take another feed away um, and, until you're sort of exclusively um, formula feeding. It's probably quite a good thing to try and the last um, sort of breastfeed that goes, make that the one that you really, you find really convenient. So that's probably going to be the one in the middle of the night. So you don't have to come downstairs and make a bottle. Um, and that's absolutely fine. Um, and the same, the same goes for post six months as well. Um, you just have to pick the feed that the, the baby is sort of less interested in, um, which will tend to be that one in the middle of the day because they will want that one before bed. Um, and then normally at that stage, only having sort of three feeds a day when they're coming up to a year. Um, and and I, I think, and, and I think as well with littler babies, it's imperative that that, fir that first feed you drop, the formula has to be given by somebody else in another room because the baby can smell your milk as well. So actually your partner needs to take the baby into another room and give them the bottle there rather than you doing it um, just so that it's a bit easier for the baby. I mean, I know that I, I, I produced a huge amount of milk when I was breastfeeding and I definitely couldn't drop one feed um, at a time. And I think, you know, it, it how much milk you're producing will dictate how quickly you can sort of stop breastfeeding. I needed to, uh, you know, the first day of the week, I'd, I'd identify a feed I was going to drop and I'd let the baby feed 80% of that feed and then the rest to top up with formula. And then the next day it would be 60% of that feed and then the rest with formula. And then the next day, you know, it had to be very, very, very gradual. But we're all different. And again, with breastfeeding, whether you're starting or stopping or continuing or whatever it is, it's such an individual thing. And do by all means use your own initiative you know your body and if you are producing loads of milk and it feels really uncomfortable just not to do a feed you can sort of slowly reduce um the feeds um uh it, it sort of as on a feed by feed basis if that makes sense yeah exactly it's got to be all about what suits you um a couple of other things that can help is if you're feeding each time with both boobs only ever offer one so don't go on to offer the other one because otherwise you're stimulating both boobs at each feed um, and the other obvious thing is to wear a really supportive bra. So you're going to have to invest into a proper bra in order to give you that support because your boobs will be sore. Mm. Um, but it does take a lot of time. And, and I think that that can be tricky as well, because during that time, a lot of women doubt themselves whether they're making the right decision because they can be in pain. Your hormones are all over the place. The baby could be a little bit unsettled. Um, mm. And so it's really good to have the right support around you and make sure that your partner's fully supportive and that the people that you see a lot, your family, your friends, are sort of really supportive on the fact that this is the best thing to do. Because whenever you start breastfeeding, you feel guilty, whether it's when they're two or whether when it's when they're two weeks, it doesn't make any difference. And in terms of planning, you know, be realistic about the amount of time that it takes. You know, it's going to be somewhere between three and six weeks to stop breastfeeding. It's not a sort of we'll do this in a week. I mean, the other option is, you know, you can take pills to stop your, your milk supply, can't you? But that's not generally recommended. No. And I think it is if you it's much more successful if it's in the, in the first sort of six weeks. Um, so a lot of women who choose not to breastfeed at all might be offered that. 
Um, but even then, if you choose not to breastfeed at all, you probably won't have that. You won't have that engorgement that you do if you have actually breastfed. So often we just tell women to leave it completely and not to stimulate their, their breasts at all if they're choosing not to breastfeed. And they often don't need to do anything about that. But again, like you said, if you've got a really massive oversupply of milk, it might be an idea to go and talk to the GP about getting the medication that helps the milk dry up quicker. Um, just because otherwise you might find that trying to wean the baby off takes such a long time and it all becomes quite traumatizing for all of you. Um, well, or you get terrible mastitis, which yeah. is so painful and requires antibiotics. And I know that, you know, people are unwilling or reluctant to take medicine when they don't really need to. But in terms of the sort of side effects and the downsides, you know, a course of antibiotics is probably about the same as, you know, the, this, this pill that will suppress your milk. No, exactly. Um, and, and like we said before, it's so much to do with how you're feeling psychologically. Um, and so if that's what you need and you're really struggling to wean the baby off, then you must go and speak to the GP. I think, again, with this type of thing, everyone's so judgmental that no one ever goes to talk to anybody or gets any advice. No one is told when you've had your baby how, how to stop breastfeeding. Um, and actually, we should be giving that information at the same time. What um, we do on the bump class. <laughs> big part uh, of the breastfeeding class yeah exactly but you and know, I, I think there's such stigma around the the pill to stop the breastfeed breast milk I was talking to a girl once um whose baby had been stillborn and the midwife said don't take the the pill to stop the milk coming in because it might make you feel a bit depressed and I looked at her and I was like your baby's just died I mean, you can't feel any worse anyway and instead this poor girl had to cope with the you know, her milk coming in and having to stop the milk and that kind of constant, I mean, I don't want to say constant reminder because you always know that your baby's not there, but it just, it felt so cruel. And I was just thinking, how could anyone have recommended that it would have been a good thing in terms of her mood to to, to not have this pill? Just extraordinary. It's so, it's so unsupportive and, and just completely ignorant as well. Um, and unfortunately, just because people have chosen to be midwives or doctors or health visitors, it doesn't mean that they automatically are emotionally intelligent and, and can actually read a situation. Um, and that's why you do sort of have to be your own advocate, which is really difficult. We talk about it a lot because when you just had a baby, you couldn't be more vulnerable and you've got to make all these decisions. And, and it's so important to have a bit of an idea about what you want to do when you're going into it not when you've got the baby but when you're pregnant because actually once you've got that baby and you're exhausted you you tend to sort of lose you completely feel completely disempowered and you just everybody just tells you what to do and you just sit there um and so we always say at the bump class like you've got to have a bit of an idea of how you want to feed and what you feel comfortable with and also what not what type of parent you want to be but have a bit of an idea of you know do you want to be able to have skin to skin with your baby for hours on end each day you know what type of thing do you want to do because once you've got the baby there it's it's very easy just to be swayed in any direction and then six months down the line you think well I don't know why I did that that's exactly I would never have done that now um and so you do sort of have to think about it a little bit before as well well, Joe, this has been so lovely. It's always great to chat to you. Um, I feel so strongly about this. I feel so strongly about giving people the the empowerment to make the decisions that are right for them, regardless of what those decisions are. But I also feel really strongly that we need to be kinder to breastfeeding mothers or well, or not breastfeeding mothers, you know, just generally mothers. 
both as mothers ourselves. And maybe, you know, amongst antenatal groups, we just need to be more honest about breastfeeding, ask people about, you know, stopping. And and the other thing that I really hate is this term giving up breastfeeding. It's just yeah. so negative and it's shrouded in sort of failure. It's not giving up breastfeeding. You don't talk about toddlers giving up crawling and going to walking. It's simply a progression of, you know, stopping something that is no longer necessarily the best thing for you guys as a family. So I think we do need to re-examine our, the vocabulary we use around this in order to make it less stigmatising. Definitely. And that's for both breastfeeding and bottle feeding women, because we're not, we're not helping anybody by the way we talk about things at the moment. Um, and what we're doing is dividing people completely. And that is, we don't need to be doing that because actually being a mother is quite lonely and isolating as it is. We don't then need to be judging people for whether they're breastfeeding or whether they're bottle feeding because both sides do it to each other. Um, and we should be like a unified front. But that starts with healthcare professionals. So we just have to really work hard with that and make sure that you know people do feel completely empowered and supported um and hopefully that happens that happens soon but it has to start at home it has to be your friends and your family actually that support you for whatever decision you think is best um well i tell you where it does start is the bump class joe and i yeah. teach the bump class uh, together in london uh, we also have online classes so you can always come and join um online classes if you're up for an informed and empowering conversation in the lead up to your baby so you can check out our website uh, thebumpclass.com um joe thank you so much for your time today it's such a pleasure to chat to you thank you all for downloading this episode of the parenthood i hope you found it helpful um and it has sparked kind of hopefully more helpful thought you can follow me on instagram i'm at marina.fogel don't forget to subscribe and rate um, and even review this podcast episode wherever you found it but in the meantime from joe and me thanks for listening and goodbye